Welcome to the Highly Objective Podcast, where we talk to cannabis industry executives and investors and go into the weeds on recent news. Hey, so today we have David Goubert, CEO of Air Wellness with us. Uh, David, thanks for the time. Would you quickly uh, give us your background since you've now been at the company since November 2022? Yeah. Um, hi, Dan, and, and thanks for inviting me and super happy to be to be here with you today. Uh, so quickly on my, my background, I mean, by now, I'm, I'm sure everybody heard that uh, I have some accent. I'm French. I grew up in France, uh, engineering degree and then started working about 30 years ago into um, supply chain and manufacturing. Did a few years in, in that, in, in Nestle and consulting, and pretty quickly was uh, recruited by Louis Vuitton, so in the luxury sector. And uh, if you look at my background since then, it's about half-half, I'd say, during 15 years of working in, in supply chain manufacturing, and then 15 years of um, transitioning into retail uh, and, and then marketing e-commerce and, and the most recent years uh, managing companies through that. So I'd say my background is about 15 years on the side of uh, supply chain and manufacturing and then the, the remaining 15 years on, on the customer side in retail, marketing, e-commerce and, and general management of companies. Uh, 25 of those 30 years have been in the luxury industry in companies such as uh, Louis Vuitton, um, other LVMH companies, and most recently with uh, Neiman Marcus, where I was uh, I was leading the Neiman Marcus brand. Yeah, and I want to get back to that kind of retail and luxury comparison to cannabis, but here's to, to understand how you sort of got on the company's radar and vice versa, and you know how how that process was set up for you to join Air Wellness, and was it always assumed that when you joined as president, you would become CEO at some point in time? Yeah. Um, so back to your first question on the how and, and why. Um, I so I, I got in touch with with John, the founder of, of the company, a bit more than a year ago, about a year and a half ago, um, through actually the chief people officer of the company that used to work with me at, at Louis Vuitton and other places. And she uh, felt that it was good for the two of us to know each other. And so I started meeting John at the very beginning of 22. Uh, and, and those were conversations, not necessarily at that time of, of joining, but much more uh, learning from each other and learning on, on the business of, of cannabis and, and, and all that. And the more we were digging into it and, and the more we felt that there was truly a there there. Um, on my side, from a, a, a career standpoint, uh, I had been fortunate to be um, as we talked about earlier, I meaning working in, in different things like supply chain, manufacturing, retail, marketing, and so on. And all these apply pretty well to, to cannabis. And then uh, I, I had the, the, the chance of leading companies that were larger companies. I mean, Marcus was more of a, a $4 billion companies. Uh, but I found very, very interesting the idea of joining a company that um, was still pretty new, pretty young, had, I think, great foundation, but had not been optimized already many times uh, over. And, and for that point, it was interesting to join a company where it was about optimizing, scaling, uh, and truly working on defining the, the key strategic point that we need to work on as a team. So that, that's how we got to know each other. That, that's why it became interesting for me to look into cannabis. 
the more I looked into it and the more I met um, patients and, and, and people working in the cannabis industry and the more I felt that there's, there's also a, a reason for me to be here, which is to be part of something that, that's greater, that's bigger, that, that's helping people in their lives. And, and that matters very much to me. So the combination of the, the skill set, I'd say the, the opportunity to be working in a growing industry and in a company that uh, is uh, in need of scaling and optimization, uh, plus the sector itself and how it helps people, all these things together got me very, very interested in, uh, in, in joining. And then to the second part of your question, I think it was uh, always uh, something very clear for, for John and I that uh, I would join initially as the, the president of the company and that when both of us and the board felt that the time was right and, and uh, it was the right time for the company and the right time for myself, um, that we would transition into the role of CEO. So uh, that came actually pretty fast. And, and after three months, we felt that the time was right to do that. Um, and uh, I can only commend John, by the way, on, on um, how he really helped and made sure from the, from the very beginning that um, I had the, uh, uh, the responsibility of, of the, the business of the company and, and at the same time, his presence to support. So it's been a very smooth and, and uh, really awesome transition. So if you're entering cannabis, why Air Wellness versus maybe other opportunities, uh, other you know, competitors, other companies of similar sizes that you could have looked at? Yeah, um, I, I liked very much uh, a few things about, about uh, Air Wellness. The first is, is probably what I started sharing, which is I really think that it's a company that has great foundation, uh, but at the same time is in, at the time, uh, where we can scale and optimize where others may be a bit more advanced in, in their journey for, for some of them. Um, so I, I felt that Air Wellness is a great example of a company that's, let's say, four years old and has grown through uh, a, a lot of uh, acquisition and, and integrating different companies, but is at that moment where it's about focusing on ourselves and focusing on how we optimize um, the, the, the assets that we have. So that's one thing. The second thing that uh, I, I liked very much about AIR is the footprint. Um, when you look at the footprint that we're in, and it was very clear from the beginning that, that we're not looking at being everywhere and being the biggest, but making sure that we're in states where we can gain market share, gain depth, and, and states that, that uh, uh, I'd say have the right level of regulation that we're looking for. So I felt that the footprint of, of air was actually a, a very good and very interesting footprint. And we can talk more about it later, but from Florida to New Jersey, to Nevada, to even Massachusetts or, or what's coming with Ohio and so on, and or Pennsylvania really like very much the, uh, the footprint. And then I'd say the third thing that uh, uh, beyond the people that I met, obviously, but the third thing that, that, uh, attracted me very much is, is um, a lot of the work on building the capacity and building the quality of cultivation was already well advanced uh, and is already well advanced, which gets us to a very good place in terms of, again, optimizing and scaling now the company. So when you put all these things together, I really felt that there was a, a, a there there and, and plus that connection 
uh, with John over 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 a year. And, and then I know we can't get to too many details because it's an ongoing situation with the company. But can you help us understand a bit about sort of the, the cash and, and debt uh, at sure. the company today, and and sort of you know how you're set up going forward um, yeah. to, to be able to leverage some of that cash for some of the initiatives? Yeah. Um, so obviously, it's 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 clear that um, I joined at the time where um, we're in a we, we are and, and I would say we were for some of it in, in a situation where we had um, to manage uh, uh, um, the situation we had with GSD for New Jersey in terms of risk of dilution in in twenty three, and then um, significant debt that that had maturity at the end of of twenty four. So joined at that time, but with great confidence. Uh, that we uh, can overcome this. So where we are right now, uh, I'd say the GSD situation is, is behind us as we shared during the, the Q1 earnings, meaning that we came to a, a, a very, very good agreement uh, with uh, the GSD X owner in terms of, of number of shares, meaning 3.7 million shares is, is a, a very small dilution compared to the risk that we would have had from a dilution standpoint. And then terms that give us actually more uh, lead away from a, a, a time standpoint over the next years uh, on this. So the, the most, I'd say, urgent matter that was on the 23 horizon is now behind us. And that's a, a, a really, really great thing. A very, very positive outcome. And to your point, we can't talk too much about it, but um, we have the, uh, the, the, the debts at the end of, of 24 from a maturity standpoint, and we've, we've hired Molis. We're working on it right now in terms of, uh, of uh, fixing that situation as well and, and finding the solutions um, that, that will get us to a, a great place for the, the coming years. So new coming in that these things were things that we were dealing with this year. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy with where we are right now. And, and how this is uh, um, shipping out. The last thing I would say on, on that situation, and, and if you want from a cash standpoint, is uh, we're, we're in a, a pretty solid cash situation. We shared at the end of Q1 that we have $96 million of cash at the end of Q1. Uh, even if you, we, we've also shared that uh, we will be operating cash flow positive for the year. And when you look at the uh, debt that we have in 23, due in 23, plus the capex, plus the fact that we're operating cash flow positive, meaning that that gets you gets us to uh, a solid situation from a cash standpoint at the end of the year and preparing for uh, um, free cash flow. That's what we're shooting for for 24. So uh, a lot to be done on that front, uh, and which is where, by the way, John is is very focused uh, right now in his role of uh, executive chairman and um, in a good place, I would say, as good as can be um, at this moment. Yeah, and I, I think what you're referring to is you have about 40 million of debt payments that are the current portion. And of course, there's 140 million that are the non-current portion. Um, so in terms of extending maturity here, of I, I assume the non-current portion is the attempt that you're going to make with some of your creditors. Um, how receptive are they to that, considering that the industry as a whole, right, competitors of yours, companies of similar sizes, um, there's been other attempts to kind of work with creditors to punt the, the maturity dates. Yeah, and I'm sorry that I cannot share much here, Dave, because we're in the middle of, of, of all this. 
Um, and I can just reiterate what I said about um, how we, we feel about it. Uh, what I would tell you is, is what they're, they're looking at is, is very much the uh, uh, health of the business and how we're driving the business. And on that front for us, it's very much a, a, an approach with, with two key priorities. One is on um, very much focused on cash and, and preserving cash and, and being operative cash, operating cash flow positive for, for this year and free cash flow next year, positive next year. That's one side of, of that that obviously they are looking at very carefully. But the other side for us from a priority standpoint is, is the growth and the growth of the company and the sustainable growth of the company over the coming years. So proving these two points, um, I was very happy to share at, at the end of Q1 about being operating cash flow positive for the third quarter in a row. So that, that gets us into the right direction. And then from a business standpoint, uh, really growing into a higher EBITDA and, and higher revenue uh, as we go quarter over quarter and, and in the, 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 the second half of the year and in, in 24. So um, that's what they're looking at as well. And, and uh, I'd say so far, so good. And, and, you know, let's talk about priorities for the, the company, whether, you know, you have three or yeah. five or many more priorities. Um, I assume one of it has been to rebrand Liberty Health Sciences all to air cannabis dispensaries yeah. by July. Um, what, what other priorities are there at the company mm -hmm. for the rest of this year? Yeah. So um, we're, we have two key focus, right? The first one is, is on uh, being operating cash flow positive and preserving cash. And the other one is on building the foundation and, and truly go, growing uh, into the business. And we've built two plans, one on the cash side, one on the growth side. On the cash side, uh, which we call our 2023 optimization plan, uh, this is around four key pillars in terms of priorities that the team is focused on. And those four key pillars, the first one is, is well, simply continuing to grow significantly the business versus last year. I mean, we were up 18% uh, in Q1 to last year, uh, and that helps us to leverage SGE as much, much better. So um, that, that's the best way to, uh, to, to get into a good cash position. It's, it's growing the business. The second key focus on that optimization plan is on margins. And, and the way we're looking at this is, is by market, um, I think that we have opportunities on the overall margins that we generate, whether it's by... Um, stacking less the different discounts, whether it's working on the pricing of the products itself, whether it's working on higher internalization, which we grow quarter by, by quarter uh, on the internalization, but we have different ways of increasing our margins and, and, remain, and, and making sure that no matter the price compression, we're remaining at least at 55% uh, um, gross margin into our business. So that, that's the second key, I'd say, focus that we have from an optimization plan. The third focus is on uh, the optimization of the inventory. Um, we're not best in class today in terms of inventory in the sector. Um, when you look at the inventory that we have around 90 million versus our business, uh, we we're clearly have opportunities to, to get to a better place from an inventory standpoint. And so a lot of actions are being taken as we speak to reduce that inventory that free up uh, working capital. So that's the, the, the third key element of that optimization plan. And then the fourth one 
um, uh, is around cost savings. And we've started this year some significant work on, on cost savings and, I mean, really leaving no stone unturned uh, in terms of cost saving, whether it's on optimization of our, our teams and, and the way we're working, whether it's on making sure that we're at the right level of capacity versus, versus our, our sales in every market, or um, um, reducing professional fees, reducing t and really working on, on, on some key elements from a cost-saving standpoint. And when you take those four uh, buckets, I would say together, uh, we're getting to a, a much better place, I would say from a, a, a cash and, and making sure that we grow into a, a higher EBITDA uh, by the end of 23. So that's the focus of the company, I would say, from a, a, a cash uh, preservation and, and being operating cash flow positive. On the other side, and, and we have really clear objectives, by the way, by, by leader uh, in making this happen. On the other side, at the same time, uh, our focus is very much on growing the business and growing the business in a sustainable way. And we call that our grow forward plan. And that grow forward plan is focused around three key elements. Uh, the first one is building a loyal customer base for our retail, and, and I'll come back to that a bit. Uh, the, the, the second one is on having uh, few and fewer than what we have today, but having few very powerful brands, meaning CPG product brands, if you want. And then the third one is ensuring that we have great quality of products that correspond to those brands. And we've organized the company and the priorities of the companies around these three focus. But if I, uh, I, I say, uh, back up for a minute and, and talk about our business and why these three key focus to grow the business. Um, when I joined the industry and looked at, at the, the cannabis industry, not specifically air, uh, and trying to understand the business model, it was pretty interesting to understand that, that okay, we cultivate, we operate and, and transform products that after that, we, we sell through our own uh, retail uh, a, a, a network of, of stores, retail, uh, where we actually also buy product from others for our retail stores, except Florida. But at the same time, we're, we're a CPG company that, that build brands and sell brands in our own network, but also to others. And it's pretty unique business model, especially when you add to that, that we can do it only state by state, right? And it, each state is pretty much a business unit. But when you think of that business model, um, the best way for me to make sense of it and to, to, to really describe it in a way that we can get to clear focus was to say, hey, we're, we're two things at the same time here. Um, we are a retailer. We have 85 locations in the, uh, the states that we're in. We're a retailer. Um, and then at the same time, we're a CPG company that build brands and sell brands either to our network or to others, but those are two kind of different business models. And as a retailer, uh, and, and probably wasn't true the same way 20 years ago, but as a retailer today, our key asset beyond our people, our key asset is our customers, is building a loyal customer base. And as a retailer, that's the one thing that matters most. And it doesn't matter if you work in luxury, if you work in, in cannabis, if you work in, in any other um, uh, industry. Really, today in retail, it's all about having loyal customers that you can retain and that will come back to you over and over again. 
And then as a CPG brand, you have two assets, really. One is building equity for your brands um, so that you actually have price power, so that you have followers on your brands and making sure that the quality of your products uh, correspond to the, the narrative of your brand. And so as we have those two businesses at the same time, really the three key assets that we need to focus on, it's building a loyal customer base because that's what a retailer is about. And at the same time, having great quality of products and having strong brands because that's what a CPG company, a house of brands is about. And, and that's how we came to determine that those are the three key objectives uh, of the company. And then obviously there's a lot of things to do in each of those um, to, to make that happen, but those are the three key focus. Now- yeah, I, I want to double click a bit more on the loyalty. Yeah. How are you guys doing that and to differentiate from competitors, right? So if you're, you're in Florida, how are you getting customers to be loyal to air wellness versus some of the other options that all need to be vertically integrated in that state? Uh, and hopefully it's beyond just you know location. Yeah, um, you know, it's a, it's a combination of, of, of many different things to make that happen in, in, in each state and beyond states. And that's why, to your point at the very beginning, it's so important for us to rebrand our locations at, uh, as Air Cannabis Dispensary across uh, our network and, and right now in Florida. Uh, but the key aspects to build loyalty, it's, um, well, the first thing to me, and, and, and I learned that actually through um, a lot of work at Neiman Marcus on it is what I call building a customer algorithm. And, and that seems uh, pretty basic, but uh, it's, it's interesting to see that in retail in general, uh, our teams are, even leadership doesn't necessarily have a great understanding of how, are we retaining well our customers? What is their behaviors? What are we doing to retain, retain them? What, how are we doing that when we have a new customer, we make sure that within two weeks, a month, they come back to us instead of going somewhere else. So it's not yet the actions when I say that, but simply bringing awareness around the customer algorithm is the first step into building loyalties because from then you ask the right questions. If someone doesn't come back, why? And what do we need to do different so that they come back? And the answer can be that we don't have the right loyalty program and we need to redo our loyalty program differently. That's, that's one thing we're working on right now. Or the answer may be that they had a great experience with a butt tender, but there's no follow-up afterwards in terms of calling back the person to know how the experience was and, and, and make sure that you keep that connection, butt tender to patient. Um, or, or it can be that the experience itself in store uh, was not the right experience and that we need to work on some improvements of the, of the experience in store, the flow and so on. Or, and I think it's a key thing also in the industry that, that surprised me at the beginning, um, it's how do we do the work to integrate better the online experience and the store experience. And I say it surprised me at the beginning coming in because the level of, of uh, uh, online sales in the, uh, in the cannabis industry is actually very high, much higher than I expected. It's, it's the same as very mature retail industries, meaning a, 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 an omni-channel retail usually is like a, a 40, 60, 35, 65, meaning 65% of sales in-store, 35% of sales online. And it's actually where we are as an industry and as a company, which surprised me to be there so fast. Now, 
I don't think it's optimized. Meaning in terms of customer experience, customer journey uh, between what you do when you go online and, and, and what you see and, and how does that flow into your experience in store? So it's a big of a um, answer that has a lot of things into it. But to me, it starts from building that customer algorithm when we, where we can understand better the behaviors of our customers. And from there, driving the key actions uh, that, that we, we need to do either from a loyalty program, from a client engagement, from an online experience, an integrated retail experience, or from an in-store design and in-store experience. Great. And, and then next, I want to touch upon you know, a, a couple states here for you guys. So obviously, Florida is your biggest market, and you guys do a great job with one of the slides on your recent presentation, laying out the eight markets you're in and how many employees actually are in those markets. So Florida is your largest with 915 employees. Um, you know, my, my question there is there's been a lot of talk about legalization for adult use in the state. Uh, True Leaf through Safe and Smart has kind of been pushing that. And I, I forget the exact number, but it's at least like 40 million that they contribute to that. So give me a, a bit more insights on that in terms of are, are you guys somehow involved? Are you guys just letting True Leaf run with that since they, they obviously gain more than, than you do, having that be an even bigger market for them. Um, what's kind of the viewpoint from Air Wellness's standpoint on Smart and Safe Florida? Yeah, so, um, well, first, we're obviously all behind the efforts that Kim and the team are doing and, and, and helping in, in raising the, the signature and, 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 and bringing that uh, in front of, of, of regulators in, in, in Florida. So uh, very much uh, supportive of this. From a, I'd say, a, a historical and, and, and background, I think it's been a, an effort that truly has been leading very much in the state, and, and that's where we are today. Um, now, I think that at this point for us, it's, it's, it's figuring out what's going to come next and how do we make sure that we support um, the effort in the States, I would say, from a, and, and, and on that point, I'm talking from, a, from a, a, a making sure that, that this is passing and that we're getting to adult use. Internally, our focus on Florida is, is getting ready for that. Uh, we need to prepare for that. And so we're very much focused right now on, I'd say, four or five key things in Florida. Um, the, the first one is we continue to open stores. We've already opened eight more this year, which I think gets us to 61 stores today. And we plan on opening a few more uh, before, the, before the end of the year and more in, in 24. So making sure that we're mapping properly the state, not only based on, on current medical code holders, patients, but also simply by the Florida population plus tourism that we, we can expect also to play in the uh, adult use. And so that's one thing. Um, improving our, our experience and, and our, our sales in same stores, meaning in, in the existing stores as well, where we have more work to do there. Uh, Rebranding all our stores, and that's happening as we speak, as air cannabis dispensary. So this effort is, is happening um, uh, right now. And then from a capacity standpoint, making sure that, that we're ready for that adult use uh, as well in Florida. So all, our, all these are efforts that are happening as, as we speak and, and making sure for that we're ready for that, uh, that moment that's gonna be very exciting for all of us when this arrive. Um, so on our side is making sure we're ready 
and, and being ready to support in any way we can in the next step. And then from a, a market standpoint, where are your other markets that you're going to be focusing more and spending you know, some of that CapEx that you allocate yeah. in the next uh, 12 months? Yeah. So um, the as I was sharing at the very beginning, I, I think we're in a we're very happy with the assets that we have and the states that we're in. Um, the, the one state I would say that, that uh, we decided to disengage from, which was Arizona uh, at the beginning of the year, was that one state where we could not get to the market share that we wanted, we couldn't get to the depth that we wanted. And overall, from a strategic standpoint, didn't, re didn't really fit into the picture for us. So, um, Arizona aside now, the states we're in for us are, are great states that we want to invest in and feel good about. So those states are Florida. We, we talked about it. Key state for us, number one state for us. And we continue to invest in the state. Um, obviously, New Jersey is a great state and great story where we have three stores. And as, a, as, as you know, and everybody know, those are very um, well-performing state and well-performing stores. So for us, New Jersey remain uh, a key and will continue to be a key focus where we see growth. By the way, uh, one of our three stores, Eaton Town, that had uh, a pretty uh, small occupancy level in terms of customers that we could welcome, is expanding in June to be a very large store with, I think, 165 uh, occupancy. So we, we expect um, significant growth in, in, uh, in New Jersey in the coming quarters. And that's a, that's a key state for us. Uh, I, I, from an investment standpoint, uh, I, I want to speak about Ohio. I mean, our, our production capacity is, is uh, now really uh, coming online a few, a few quarters ago and, and in a good place in, in Ohio. Uh, stores will come online in, in Q3, Q4 as well. So that's an investment place for us and a, a great place. Um, Nevada, I think, is, is a very interesting state for us. We, are, we have a, a, a number one market share in, in that state. And maybe contrary to, uh, to the thinking that Nevada is a shrinking state, we think that it's a state that still has power to grow. And we continue to invest uh, in the state in, in talent, but also in, in CapEx in the next 12 months in improving the experience in, in the, the stores that we have or improving capacity uh, in the state. I want to talk about Massachusetts. I think Massachusetts is a state that has had a hard time, but I think it's coming to that moment where supply and demand are balancing better and where we're going to see growth from a wholesale standpoint in, in Q3, Q4, and also where um, the sales will, will start ramping up uh, on the, the retail side. So it's a state that we're... Um, I'd say relatively bullish about on the wholesale side and, and also want to grow in the, uh, in, in, on the retail side in the coming quarters. And uh, haven't talked about Pennsylvania. I think this is more of a steady eddy state for the remaining of the year from a revenue standpoint. Now, as we shared, I think in Q1, uh, in states like Pennsylvania or Nevada, one of our key focus uh, is about to is about increasing our EBITDA, increasing our margin, and we've seen great work on that in, in Q1. I think we grew 29% in Nevada EBITDA and 20% in Pennsylvania EBITDA quarter over quarter. 
by, by taking some uh, some clear actions there. So this is also a good state for us where we're, we're um, waiting for that state to, to pass into adult use uh, in the um, hopefully um, not too far future. So when I look at the mapping of the states, I'd say Florida is a key priority, New Jersey is a key priority, Ohio obviously is a key investment place. Uh, we like Nevada very much. We think Massachusetts has, has growth potential over the next quarters. And Pennsylvania is more of a EBITDA story until we, we get adult use um, in, in the States. And, and, and then I'd say later in 24, there's Connecticut coming on board as well. Yeah, so I want to touch a, upon a few of the things you said. Um, so with regards to Nevada, so you guys don't release the market share in that state. Planet 13, which you know publicly traded, one of your competitors in that state does. Um, so last quarter, they did 24.9 million. They said their market share, which I assume is based on a, a dollar uh, amount, is above 8%. So just to confirm, you're saying larger market share in Nevada than Planet 13? I um, I think so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No. That's uh, that's. I, I think you guys have six stores in Nevada. And, you know, they certainly have their one superstore and a, a few smaller stores. Uh, but I, I think that's a interesting insight. I, I would not have guessed. You know, you always kind of think about Plant Thirteen as owning Nevada. So so that's great to hear that. So yeah, Dale on, on Nevada. I mean, that's that's clearly a key state for us. Uh, we have six stores in Nevada, three in Vegas, and and three in Reno. And those six stores are all high volume stores. Uh, but um, I would share that we have um, they're they're top ten in the country uh, for us for for most of them. For so that's a very high volume and and clearly uh, above. 10% market share in, in Nevada. So a high volume for us in that state. Great. And then uh, another market, which for, for you guys, uh, it's stabilizing, but obviously Massachusetts had a, a big departure in Trulief exiting that state. Um, any insights into, you know, maybe what they weren't getting right in the state, what you guys are doing right. And, and, and you know, it's a key state for, for you guys, obviously, with some very key locations, especially the, the one in Back Bay, Boston. Um, so we'd love to, to hear your thoughts on sort of mass and, and you know, their exit. Yeah. Well, I, I, I will not comment on the, the decisions that uh, other, other companies can, can make state by state. I think that all of us have, have to look at our own strategy and, and make decisions. So same way we made that decision on, on Arizona a few weeks ago or a few months ago, uh, it's a, a decision that uh, I fully understand others can take for, for Massachusetts on our front. Uh, we look at Massachusetts really with with a bit of uh, two approach, right? There one, there's one on wholesale and one on retail. Um, and 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 I think the interesting thing about Massachusetts is that uh, obviously it's a it's a tougher market than maybe other states from a retail standpoint because there's 300 and such locations in in Massachusetts. But at the same time, that means that once uh, supply and demand have um, come to a pretty good place and a good balance, which I think is the case now, then it becomes actually a pretty interesting state from a wholesale standpoint. So that's where I'm saying I, I, we uh, have ambitious goals from a wholesale standpoint in Massachusetts because we have a great uh, facility uh, that's uh, state of the art that where we can produce really, uh, and we are producing great quality flour 
and we think that there's a, a significant potential from a, from a, a wholesale standpoint in that state. And then to your point about retail, we have four locations, including the one in in uh, in Back Bay. I mean, uh, and for that, I think there's more work to do uh, for us and others in, in driving awareness and, and driving having very strong marketing actions to drive traffic to the stores, which to be honest, I'm not happy with yet on, on where we are. And I think that we have potential to be way more visible and, and drive uh, a higher level of awareness about the locations we have. And that's kind of why I was saying, I think that there's more short-term gains to be made on the wholesale now that supply and demand, I think are in a good place. And there's at the same time efforts that we're making to um, get to a, an even better place from a retail standpoint. So in, in mass, you can have three stores that are adult use and then three that are medical and you can co-locate them. So yeah. of the four locations, one of them is, is just a medical location, correct? Yes. Yes. Needham is only uh, medical and, and, and then uh, uh, Back Bay is, is only uh, rec. And then I'm, I'm curious on that point, um, would you guys ever consider having them co-located? Um, isn't that more ideal because then you, you can kind of, you know, safe on rent, um, you can kind of have locations drive, uh, you know, if you're paying attention to like a revenue per dispensary revenue per retail location, isn't that more ideal to, to co-locate them or, or why keep them separate? Well, it's a... Uh... I mean, th those are obviously questions that we're we're asking ourselves, and we've been asking ourselves at the same time. I think that there's uh, Needham is a place that has a patient base um, that that is important to us, and and we don't want to let that go. And at the same time, um, moving that to Back Bay would be making sense if we're sure that we can we can catch and we can gather. Um, medical patients in, into that area and uh, hasn't been obvious for us yet that that's the right move versus doing the work on making sure that we're serving well our patients in in, in Edam and making sure that we're driving awareness to the the back bay uh, location into the to, to the, the, the location in, in in the heart of, of Boston so um, I'm not going to say never, but frankly, it, it hasn't been a priority for us or something that we feel makes sense for us to do today. Yeah, and I, I think as you're kind of giving me your answer, it makes sense to me. That's more, you know, across from the Prudential Center in, in Back Bay. Um, you're going to see a lot more tourists, people who are adult use. You also probably want to keep the space optimal for adult use yeah. consumers and, and, and not actually you know, increased traffic with, with medical consumers. So in this case, it sounds like it actually does make sense to, you know, make sure they're separate. Yeah, I think to your point, I mean, it's it's, it's like we're thinking about it and being like, eh, not sure, not a priority. Uh, and, and, you know, key thing we have to do in this industry that's not simple at all is making sure that, that we're staying focused on the key priorities that uh, will deliver both as we discussed from a, a cash standpoint, which is so key right now, and also on driving growth for the future. And everything else that is like, a, eh, maybe, uh, become a distraction. So making sure we're staying extremely focused and limited in the actions, but having impact is, is for us the way to drive the business. 
Great. And, and then going back to your comment about market share in Arizona as a reason to exit or, or maybe not push so hard to maintain the, the acquisition there and in, in the stores there, right? Rather than dispose them yeah. for cash. What is that market share then that you seek to, to have in a state? And, and if not, then exit. Yeah, there's no magic number, I would say, on, on that. And I mean, take, again, Massachusetts as the example. I think that we have a lower market share from a retail standpoint than we have in other states, obviously, because it's, it's only four stores out of 300. But at the same time, there's a high potential from a wholesale standpoint. So each state is, is different by itself. Um, you know, back to, the, uh, to what I was sharing about the way of thinking of the business and the way of saying, hey, we have on one front, we're a retailer. Uh, and we want to be the retailer of choice, building loyalty with customers. And on the other side, we're a house of brands, a CPG company house of brands. I think that it's actually a, a, a virtuous circle or a great flywheel to have both because once you build loyalty for your, your customer and your retail, you actually can expose them to your brands and, and build the equity in your brands. But the other round is true as well. As you develop equity in your brands and build your following, you can actually drive those customers to your stores. So if, if we do the job right, we, we build that flywheel. In order to do that, you need, you need both. You need to have a, a, a pretty solid market share from a retail standpoint, but also a, a significant presence from a wholesale standpoint. So when we look at the different states and they're all different, uh, but we want to have enough market share then we matter from a retail standpoint. Um, I'd say in the States, we're in average, we're probably around six, 7% market share as an average. And, and we want to be higher than that. And we are much higher in, in some States, but let's take that as, as the average of where we are. And then we want to have a, a, a solid presence on wholesale so that we can bring awareness to the brands. And, and that's probably more of a uh, phase two I'd say, um, um, delivery from a business standpoint, meaning that the number one priority is very strong retail. And the number two priority is building the brands that will support the wholesale business. But once you have the both of them um, fueling on all cylinders, then you're in a place where you can have that flywheel, that virtual, virtual circle that, that continues to bring um, even more growth overall into the company. And, and so if I understand you correctly, if there's a chance to be, you know, call it six, 7% market share or above in wholesale from a brand standpoint, you're okay to kind of stay in that market and fight. So for an Illinois, where you, you actually have two locations today in Quincy, Quincy East, Quincy West, and you're building additional two, is it safe to assume then that the market share there is stronger from a wholesale perspective, hence why you guys are committed to staying in and growing in Illinois? So I haven't talked to Illinois. So thanks for bringing Illinois because I haven't talked to about Illinois yet. Uh, Illinois is a great market, but to your point, our presence in Illinois is pretty limited today. And we made the choice to not go forward with D33 when we had the chance at the end of, of, of uh, December, because that, that's a state where we still need to really decide what's the, what's, the, what's the future for us and when is the right time to invest into Illinois. Uh, and, and December or, or Q1 was not the right time for that. So I think Illinois is a great state. I think we're in a, a wait and see mode in Illinois compared to the other states that I, I was talking about. We're, we're, we're happy we have the two Quincy stores and that we uh, plan on having them turn into air as well in the future. 
um, and we're we're looking into the two um, license that we have to open two more, uh, and we need to figure out how we can grow in the state. The great thing about Illinois is that we can have ten stores, right? So from a market share standpoint in retail, it can be pretty significant. Um, but at the same time, we need to make sure that we do that at the right time from a capex and cash standpoint. So I'd say Illinois for us is. Uh, I'm not going to say necessarily on the back burner, but kind of in terms of wait and see right now uh, as we invest into Ohio, invest into Florida, expand in New Jersey, um, put money into Nevada and, and prepare Pennsylvania and, and for adult use and, and also want to scale Massachusetts. So I'd say it comes after those states for us from a, a priority standpoint. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I know Quincy's just right on the other side of Missouri, so I assume you know some impacts since Missouri's gone adult use earlier in February of this year. Um, does that then get you to paying attention to Missouri and potentially doing some M and A to get into it, or given sort of where the priorities are, M and A and maybe new states aren't a priority today? Um, I'd separate new states and M and A, meaning from an M and A standpoint clear that it's not a priority right now. It uh, doesn't mean we're not looking at, at anything coming, but it's not a priority for us. The priority is very much the states we're in and, and scaling those states. So um, I don't anticipate much MA activity in 23. Um, we'll see if things are different when we get to early 24 and so on, but it's not a, a 23 priority. Um, there's states that we can look at as well from a, 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 a license application and so on for the future, but those won't deliver until until two, three years from now, I think. Um, so M&A not in 23, uh, it, it's probably going to come back as a conversation more as we get into 24. Great. And, and then let's go back to brands. Um, you know, what what's a number of brands or what are the few brands that you're going to choose to focus on, right? Because yeah. Uh, over the past, you guys have anywhere from 10 to 15 to 20 brands, and certainly some brands uh, matter more in some markets, and some brands have been acquired. So what are the brands going forward yeah. that matter? So the two principles for, for me here, the two principles on brands, uh, the first one, and, and I know it's, it's something that uh, people think differently, and there's no right and wrong, but to me, the first principle is that I think a brand can and, and accept some niche brands, but can play across uh, different form factors because we want brands to actually accompany our customers in their in their cannabis journey. So, and it's not because you you, you consume flour or pre-roll or that that you're not uh, using edibles or or vapes or other form factors. And for us, it matters that brands um, with the same quality of products with the same story. Can, can actually accompany our, 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 our patients and customers across those form factors. So the first principle is a brand can play in different categories. And then the second principle, to your point, meaning we, I think we have 12 brands or we had 12 brands. Um, this is a very fragmented business, fragmented uh, industry. Where the industry is, what, 26 billion? Uh, we're in, in the top 10 and, and close to the top five um, and with a, a run rate around 500 million, th that's 2% of the market. If you start diluting that into 10, 15 brands, that means that 
it's it's crazy investment from a marketing standpoint to bring to be able to bring awareness to those brands and also your your presence in front of customers is pretty limited so that second principle for me is really limiting the number of brands uh, so that we can we can invest in these brands we can make sure that they have a real presence and mean something so what i'm saying here is the work that's happening right now is narrowing down the number of brands, making sure that they play across categories and, and also playing in a good, better, best way of looking at brands uh, across those categories. So we'll go down from 12 to, I think I can say four brands only as the key brands. Um, one being Levia that you talked about, which is a bit different in the beverage industry, but let's say three key brands that will play across categories uh, in the good, better, best. Right. And, and on the site, I, I guess if I look under brands, you guys have 11 brands listed. So that bulk brand is Air Wellness, right? So obviously that's the one you're keeping. So from that 11, probably going down to three. So yeah, I, I, I consider Air as uh, Air Cannabis Dispensary as kind of a different thing because we, we've, we have made the decision to not carry any products around uh, um, with the, the Air name. Uh, Air is very much the retail name in front of our stores. It's, it's our, our retail brand. When I'm saying four, it's actually on the product brands. Um, so Air will be the name of our retail across the states. And, and in time, we'll make sure that we have our whole network around our Air Cannabis Dispensary. And then from a CPG standpoint, meaning product standpoint, uh, we'll, we'll have four strong brands that, that we carry across the network. Great. I uh, appreciate that and appreciate the time, David. Um, thank you again. No, thank you so much. And thanks for having me.